Hello, listeners. After a brief summer hiatus, for which I apologize, the Film Buff Podcast is back. And guess what? Oscar season is officially around the corner. So two weeks ago was the Telluride Film Festival. The festival is famous that's where such players such as Moonlight and Argo first made their premieres. And now we're at the other big festivals. We have Toronto and New York will follow thereafter. I thought for this episode, just coming back and now we're getting in the groove of things, of, of the movies that are going to be coming out that we're really getting excited for, I thought I'd do a bit of a rundown of the best films and performances that have come out of Telluride and Toronto. All right, let's get to it. So it's festival season, and which, which kicks off early in May with Cannes, and then we've just recently come out of the Venice and Telluride Film Festival. So the Venice Film Festival, founded in 1932, is the oldest film festival in the world, and a member of the, quote, Big Three festivals alongside Berlin and Cannes as the top three prestigious film festivals in the world. Now, when it comes to North American film festivals, of course, the largest of these is the Toronto International Film Festival, or TIFF for short, along with the Sundance Film Festival, Tribeca Film Festival, that's in... I believe it's New York or New Jersey. That that film festival was actually founded by Robert De Niro. And then the New York Film Festival, Montreal, and Vancouver. So this is what it means by its festival season. Now, Venice is usually the second foot in the door for film, following the flashy premiere at Cannes in May. And then Telluride and Toronto kick off in September, which just helps to propel the momentum that the films are already building up. So you have the films that premiered and were shown at Sundance and at Cannes, such as Call Me By Your Name and Yorgos Lanthimos' The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which have been shown all throughout the year and then are subsequently shown at Venice and Telluride and Toronto as well, just continuing to build the momentum. So Telluride is definitely a good barometer for early Oscar buzz, but it's not always a grand consensus of the way that critics and audiences are feeling. Usually these early film festivals are divided among filmgoers. And this year, the reviews and results coming out of these festival season here, they're no different, which is the our first indicator that this year's best picture race will be anything but certain. Last year, we were looking at La La Land, and people were already pegging it for Best Picture. In looking at the films coming out this year, I don't know if there's one that we really can at the moment. We had Dunkirk, which did really well this summer. Spielberg has his movie coming out later this year, which isn't showing at festivals. It's just going to be a uh, later in the season premiere. And... We still don't know. But let's take a look at the biggest films that were shown at the festival, starting with Telluride from last month. Up first is Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, Lady Bird. Greta Gerwig has been a name in Hollywood for quite some time. 
making a big name for herself in the indie scene with films like Greenberg and Frances Haw, and most recently for her performance in last year's 20th Century Women. This time, Gerwig is stepping behind the camera, as well as providing the screenplay, for her authentic, semi-autobiographical dramedy about a young woman navigating her life in Northern California. The majority of the buzz and conversation surrounding Lady Bird is all radiating from the actress who is at the center of it all, Saoirse Ronan, the 23-year-old Irish actress who is quietly making an impressive name for herself by turning out magnificent performances as she already has two Oscar nominations under her belt for 2007's Atonement and 2015's Brooklyn. Now, the producer Scott Rudin has assembled a stellar cast that includes Laurie Metcalf as Lady Bird's mom, Fences Stephen McKinley Henderson as one of her teachers, and Manchester by the Sea breakout Lucas Hedges as one of her love interests. Lady Bird seems to be in the similar vein of last year's The Edge of Seventeen. However, the Academy, despite its recent attempts to branch out and diversify, still do not favor female-centric movies. Yet, every year, one or two such films manage to sneak in, and Lady Bird could be it. The most likely scenario being a third nomination for Ronan, and possibly for Metcalf as well. Next is Darkest Hour. This one's been on my radar since last fall, when the first promotional image of Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill was first released. That picture was stunning enough that at the time, I declared to my wife, to my family on Oscar night. I remember we were sitting down, and it was just over, we had all just experienced that La La Land Moonlight debacle. And I told them, I said, next year, it's going to be Gary Oldman and Daniel Day-Lewis as nom- nominated for Best Actor, and Gary Oldman will win. Because he's going to be the front runner. Well, guess what? The film had its premiere at Telluride, And the overwhelming consensus from critics and audiences alike is that Gary Oldman has emerged as the frontrunner for Best Actor. I like being right. With so many depictions of Churchill lately, including Brian Cox's film last year, and most notably with John Lithgow's award-winning fantastic turn in Netflix's The Crown, It's easy to get a little Churchill fatigue, but Oldman's dedication to the role, as well as his completely transformative prosthetic by Oscar-nominated Kazuhiro Tsuji, has shaped the actor's performance into something that we should all be excited for. Another film that made a big impression is the latest from the husband-wife directorial team Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton, perhaps best known for their little indie darling Little Miss Sunshine. This is the story of the legendary tennis match in Battle of the Sexes. I spoke about this film earlier this year, and if you recall, I said that the only way 
that Battle of the Sexes could carry any weight in this awards season is if it was shown at festivals and made a big impression. Well, it showed, and big it was. Early reception coming out of Telluride is saying that this film is a big step forward for the previous duo's work. And the film is summed up in all of these reviews that I've read in in one word, and that's crowd-pleasing. It it may be the biggest crowd-pleaser of the year. The film is being lauded for its two powerful leads, Emma Stone and Steve Carell. Emma Stone as Billie Jean King and Steve Carell as Bobby Riggs. This film has the enthusiastic support of Billie Jean King herself and the timeliness of a story of a male chauvinist being handily defeated by a strong, dignified woman. That, more than any other factor, could help push this film further into consideration, despite the mixed reviews overall. Alright, now a film that... Okay, I'll do it. Made a huge splash at the festival was Guillermo del Toro's latest fairy tale, The Shape of Water. This film is quickly building a healthy and steady momentum as one of the year's best films and most anticipated. Earlier this year, I saw an interview with the actor Doug Jones, who has worked with Guillermo del Toro on many films. He was he he played the um I can't think of the name, the creature pan what is he? He was in Hercules. A, a satyr. A satyr, right? That has the, the hoofs. Yeah. Satyr. Uh, he, he played Pan in Pan's Labyrinth. The big, giant, tall, green dude. So he's also in Shape of Water. He, he plays a creature in this. And I, and I remember watching the interview. This must have been back in February or March. And he said that this is, according to him, the best Guillermo del Toro movie ever and he would be very surprised if we were not talking about it come Oscar season this past weekend this film was awarded the Golden Lion which is the highest honor a film can receive at the Venice Film Festival which is now placing it in that coveted Oscar frontrunner category put this on your ballots guys The Shape of Water isn't going anywhere. Now, despite the initial bias for genre films like Mad Max Fury Road or Arrival, these are the films that no one sees coming or being in the Oscar conversation until they are. Del Toro is a visionary director, and the tale he weaves with this is of a mute cleaning lady who falls in love with an amphibian creature being housed in the government facility that she works at. Critics are saying this is Del Toro's best film since Pan's Labyrinth, which I am a huge fan of. Interestingly, one of the films, within the first films I ever saw, where I noticed cinematography for the first time and how it affected the overall look and aesthetic of a film. Now, apparently, this film has been based on... This film has been on Del Toro's mind since he first saw The Creature from the Black Lagoon when he was younger. 
The main actress, Sally Hawkins, is being heralded for her performance. And this sci-fi love story is one that just might make history. Del Toro himself has cited it as a metaphor for the mistreatment of undocumented immigrants. But it might be tough to convince the voters that the film extends far beyond the surface and the fun sci-fi elements that it presents. Alright, so now with Telluride over, we get to do it all over again. This weekend marked the beginning of the Toronto International Film Festival, perhaps the biggest of the film festivals, and also the largest indicator of the films that will inevitably go on to award season success. The People's Choice Award, an award given in Toronto and based on audience ballots, is the best barometer for which a film will stand out among the rest. Past winners have included Room, The Imitation Game, 12 Years a Slave, The King's Speech, Slumdog Millionaire, Silver Linings Playbook, and La La Land. So, here we go. Off to TIFF. Although a lot of the previously released films also show at TIFF, hoping to keep up the momentum that will propel them into awards consideration, the, um, including Battle of the Sexes, the Sundance Darling Call Me By Your Name, as well as Darkest Hour and The Shape of Water, TIFF is most known for being a premier launching ground for a lot of the season's flashier titles. This season's lineup, which I'll go over, includes a strong hand of biopics, as well as some original screenplays and a few literary adaptations as well. One of the most anticipated biopics this year is the directorial debut from Oscar-winning screenwriter Aaron Sorkin, Molly's Game, which is about Molly Bloom, who went from an aspiring Olympic skier to poker princess running one of the largest high-stake poker games in the world. Sorkin has really made a name for himself in Hollywood with his skills in which he's able to tell dense yet fascinatingly complicated stories about real-life figures ranging from Mark Zuckerberg to Steve Jobs. And now he takes on, for the first time, his first ever female heroine. Now, a quick word here about Sorkin. Well, Aaron Sorkin, he's not well known for his handling of his female characters that well. From The West Wing to Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip to um, The Newsroom, the most recent series. Sorkin's female characters have been perceived often as flighty, birdy, and weak. Perhaps the only exception being Alice and Janney's C.J. Craig. Now the difference, it seems here, is that with Molly's game, the character of Molly is anything but flighty. And Sorkin's choice to portray this hard-edged, tough, capable woman, Oscar nominee Jessica Chastain who is said to have turned in a commanding and powerful performance as Bloom. Chastain is, of course, no stranger to these types of roles. Her first nomination was for an equally tough-as-nails character in Zero Dark Thirty. And though she has taken on lighter and less demanding roles, 
such as The Help and The Martian, it is when she really has an opportunity to sink her teeth into the meat of a character, such as last year's Miss Sloan, her film about gun right or gun lobbying, that she really shines. Now, other, other actors make a strong impact uh, in the films, such as Idris Elba, who plays Molly's lawyer, who looks to share the most screen time with Chastain, and other feature performances as well, such as Michael Cera, Jeremy Strong, Chris O'Dowd, and Kevin Costner. Now, with someone not super familiar, well, familiar at all, with the world of high-stakes poker, or any poker, outside of playing with my friends at a lunch table in junior high, where we use Starburst instead of chips. Anyway, as someone who's not familiar with this world, I'm very curious about this film. I had a chance to read the script last year, and I was very impressed. It reminds me kind of of Adam McKay's The Big Short, which was another one of these fast-paced movies about money and stuff, and it was very educational as well. So maybe Molly's Game could pull a big short and sneak up at the last minute and blow us all away. We'll see. Another biopic that's getting a lot of attention is the Jake Gyllenhaal film Stronger, which tells the true story of Jeff Bowman, a Boston man who lost both of his legs following the horrific events of the 2014 bombing. Gyllenhaal is one of my favorite actors, and the performance he gives here is said to be just as great as his previous efforts. The biggest point that critics and reviewers say is the reverence and sincerity with which Gyllenhaal portrays Bowman. And and if you've seen the trailer for this film, it, the trailer's even a hard watch. You You watch him struggle. And rather than a stars and stripes, rah, rah, go America hero story, it's a story of survival and recovery. It's an honest look at a man whose life was changed forever. With Patriot's Day coming out last year, another movie surrounding the events, it might stand to reason that perhaps some audiences and voters might be a little lukewarm to a familiar recent story such as this. However, with Gyllenhaal being a fantastic actor and a talent that could help this film stand out, we'll just have to wait and see. Another film that's premiering at TIFF actually tonight is about another man with a great deal of physical struggles is Andrew Garfield in Andy Serkis's film directorial debut, Breathe. It's a story of a young man stricken with polio, which, to be honest, looks so much like the theory of everything that I don't think it will go anywhere. I'm curious to see how it's received outside of awards contention, however, because Andy Serkis is one of the most humanist actors we have. 
I mean, the man can pretend to be an ape, and we all totally buy it. So I'm sure that he will be able to get some great performances out of his cast. Another reason that I'm anxious about Breathe is to see the first big-name film debut of Claire Foy, who is fantastic in Netflix's The Crown. All right, perhaps one of the biggest surprises to come out of TIFF was the Craig Gillespie film about disgraced figure skater Tanya Harding, aptly titled I, Tanya," starring Margot Robbie in what is said to be a powerhouse performance. I had the opportunity to read this script as well last year, and one of the things that really impressed me was the structure in which the film is built. This is not a lifetime biopic, but instead it's something a little less rigid. The story is told in scattered flashbacks and interviews with the characters in the story, telling us, the audience, the story of what happened, at least how they remembered it. The story is obviously familiar, and the events that surround Harding and the infamous tragedy of Nancy Kerrigan are legendary. However, the film really pulls back the curtain on Harding herself, an undeniable child prodigy who suffered at the hands of an abusive mother, here played to a award-worthy performance by veteran actress Allison Janney, and finds herself drawn to another toxic relationship in her life, and unfortunately, Tanya, that leads to disastrous results. Despite the familiarity, the film is to be a dark comedic tragedy about a young woman destined for greatness, whose life decisions and poor upbringing led her down a path that she will never recover from. While a distribution deal has yet to be reached for this film, the overall feeling is that whichever studio does manage to land the film will have a very good shot at landing at least one acting nomination, if not two. Another among the slew of biopics this year is the Weinstein Company's contribution to the fall lineup, The Current War, which tells the story of the famous War of the Currents between inventor pioneer Thomas Edison and entrepreneur and engineer George Westinghouse to determine whose electrical system would power the modern world. Leading the ensemble as the two electricity titans are Benedict Cumberbatch as Edison and Michael Shannon as Westinghouse. Also starring Nicholas Holt as brilliant inventor Nikola Tesla, and Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland, as Samuel Insull, who was Edison's assistant. Now, the Weinstein Company has been known to stake a claim come Oscar time. However, their most recent films, The Founder, Lion, Carol, and The Imitation Game, despite garnering, garnering nominations have really failed to impress with a substantial amount of award wins. The most recent being the Longevity Award given to Ennio Morricone for his score in Tarantino's Hateful Eight, 
and Graham Moore's win for adapted screenplay for The Imitation Game. Now, The Current War is getting some pretty mixed reviews, with some critics claiming it lacks the magic that it requires for such a story. And to be honest, if you've seen the trailer or anything like this, it looks like a pretty paint-by-numbers biopic that probably a decade previous Academy would have just eaten up. However, despite all this, they are the Weinstein Company, they know what they're doing, and they could have a hit on their hands if all goes according to plan. Now, in addition to all of the biopics that are coming out of TIFF, there are a great number of original screenplays premiering as well. Most notably, and most talked about, is the latest from Nightcrawler director Dan Gilroy, starring Denzel Washington, called Roman J. Israel Esquire. I know that title may seem weird for some, but believe me, that title makes perfect sense. It's a film about identity and a man really being himself, despite social or career pressures. This is a pretty transformative role for Denzel. And the character he plays is a far cry from the tough man he played in Fences. Rather, Roman is a brilliant yet autistic criminal lawyer who has been working in the same practice for decades, who finds his life uprooted when he loses his partner and his firm is absorbed. And he's then challenged to change his method and behaviors. Colin Farrell, who has had a fantastic career lately, especially with Saving Mr. Banks and The Lobster, co-stars as the young hotshot lawyer whose firm has absorbed Washington's, and they have a little bit of a, of a conflict between them. Now, the film's received some mixed reviews so far, yet the performance by Washington is not among them. In fact, it could be the film's redeeming factor come box office and awards time. And there are still many voters um, and audiences alike who feel that it is Denzel's time to win. A lot of the buzz going in last year, even I thought it was, where he would be able to beat out Casey Affleck and he would be able to win Best Actor for Fences over Casey's Manchester. So that he didn't do that Maybe this is Denzel's year. We'll just have to wait and see. Other original films that made their debut included Brad Status, a dramedy written by Mike White, who also wrote School of Rock and Beatrice at Dinner. Brad Status stars Ben Stiller as a father going through a midlife crisis after dropping his son off at college. The film's a bit of a departure for Stiller, Though he's known for dipping his toes into some more dramatic waters, including Greenberg, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and While We're Young. And this is just said to be a nice, charming, light-hearted fare. Not sure if there's any awards consideration if Stiller can make that leap, but it's said to be still still a, a good a good film. Another original screenplay is, comes from actress Brie Larson who also stepped behind the camera to direct her first feature, though she didn't write it. This is her directing debut. Um, Unicorn Store 
which is about a young woman coming to terms with fleeting childhood. And uh, lastly, there's The Death of Stalin, which is a biographical comedy about the Soviet director's last few days written by Veep creator Armando Iannucci, who has had tremendous success with his show on HBO, and this is his first foray into film writing. So last but not least, there are two big literary adaptations coming out of TIFF, um, and they're both from Atonement writer Ian McEwan. The first is The Child Act, which is a legal drama starring Emma Thompson, and lastly, On Chesil Beach, starring Saoirse Ronan yet again, this time as a young newlywed discovering what it means to love. The film premiered last week, and Ronan is once again receiving rave reviews for her performance, as well as the first-time director Dominic Cook, whose impressive debut is being compared to Tom Ford's A Single Man. It's a small film right now, not really on anyone's radar at the moment, but at this time last year, so was Brooklyn. So if there's one thing to remember, it's don't count out a small book adaptation starring Saoirse Ronan. She's only getting better and better. So that's it, guys. That's Telluride, and that's Tiff. I am so excited. This is the best time of the year. Although these films won't be coming out for a while, we have Battle of the Sexes, which is coming out at the end of this month. A lot of them are coming out in October. I know Molly's Game is, Darkest Hours coming out in November. Shape of Water is coming out in December. This, this is the time. Summer is over. We had our horrible, not horrible. We had our disappointing summer box office and our really disappointing August where I think the top film that came out in August I, don't, don't quote me on this it might have been Annabelle Creation and then of course this last weekend we just had the box office phenomenon it based on the Stephen King novel which I loved by the way big fan of the book big fan of the film definitely want to see it again it's in IMAX I'd love to see it in IMAX so it's time we're, we're going back to the box office now and this is the time to see these films so a lot of them probably won't be in the large theaters so probably have to go to more of an art house theater to see it we have a great one here in Salt Lake the the Broadway theater but it's really great it's a great time of year and it's a great time to be a film fan so thanks so much for listening. Again, welcome back to the Film Buff Podcast. This is the time of the season where everything starts to pick up. And we'll talk to you guys next week.